listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody smile. Please tell like you want to hear it. Make me feel better. All right. Glad you're here today. Oh, man, excited about kicking off a new series. Before we do that, though, I do want to celebrate um, all that God did last week as we were able to see two, at least, there was two people who made first-time commitments for salvation, about five other rededications. And so I want us to celebrate that together as a church. That's very important for us. So um, obviously you're very excited. So put your hands together. So let's thank God for uh, what he did last week. Also, I'm seeing 26 people, including uh, several of the, the kids out of our uh, first and fifth grade, first through fifth grade programs being baptized was also an awesome thing that we got to see. And I, I say that because we don't ever need to think that that's common. We don't ever need to take that for granted. And we always need to uh, celebrate that every chance we get. And so um, I, I wanted to just point that out to you so you can also be thanking God um, when you're away from church for what he's doing and what he's done um, in the life of our church and what he's doing in this community and in the world. And so that's very important. Um, I, also want to give you a heads up on things. Parents, um, this is really for you right now, um, but also important for everybody. Uh, one of the things that we're running into is uh, an issue with um, co- our capacity of chi- our children's area. It's not a space issue as much as it is um, being able to keep a, a healthy ratio of connectors to children. And so what we are going to start doing is if we, once we have as many children as we can safely um, handle in the kids area, uh, some of the ratios, depending on the age of the child, is one to four, one to six, one to eight, one to ten, depending on uh, how old the children are, we're, we're just going to ask you if you would bring them uh, to the auditorium. And the reason we're doing that again is we want to maintain the integrity of our kids' ministry. We want them to be safe, and we want to be able to pour it into their lives. Now, we would rather them be in the kids' area. Uh, the reason for that is that three of them. One is, it's better for them. They, they can hear the, the gospel in a way that they can understand. Even the babies, you think we're just rocking babies, but we're praying over those babies. We're reading the Bible to those babies. Um, and so as, as, as early as we can, we start pouring the word in. So it's better for them. The second is it's better for you. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. You got your kids sitting next to you, you probably don't hear a whole lot. And certainly you can't worship if you close your eyes, they may be gone. And so, yeah, you know, it's better for you as well. Um, the third thing is it's better for everybody around you uh, if they're in the kids area, uh, because unless you give them Benadryl before you get to church, um, most likely they're going to be a little rambunctious sitting through one of my 20 minute sermons. And so, um, that was a joke. And uh, thank you. And so, anyway, but, but that's what we want. But, uh, and, and listen, if God puts it in your heart to serve in that area, we'd love to have you. But if and only if God puts it in your heart to serve in that area. We want people serving um, everywhere because of, uh, it's in their heart to do so. Uh, not because of guilt, manip- manipulation, condemnation. That's, that's not our goal. We're just informing you, letting you know what's going on. If God puts that in your heart, we'd love to have you. Um, so today, um, moving on from that, today we are going to kick off a new series. The name of the series, as you have seen and heard, is Unstoppable. And uh, we're talking about how Jesus's church, the Big C Church, uh, is an unstoppable force. Um, And we're going to be looking at that and and seeing how when we are really following God and the church is following God, Jesus promised in Matthew 16 that nothing, not even the gates of hell, not even Satan himself, uh, can stop us. And so I want you to see that. I want us to, to begin to grab hold of that because that's our confidence that God is going to finish what he started in our own life, but in our co- 
corporate community life as well. He wants to use us, this body of believers, to go in and infect the community with his power and with the gospel of Jesus Christ and also to go beyond that into the world to share that. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 4. We'll be starting at the very end of 4, going into 5. The next three weeks will be in Acts 5 and 6 for the most part. And I don't know what's going on with my mouth today, but like the first service, it's like my, te- my, my lips are stuck to my teeth. I have no idea why my mouth's so dry, so if I had to drink a little swig of water, it is water, um, then you know why. All right, so Acts chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 36 through chapter 5, verse 11. And the thing I want you to see um, and understand is where, where we are in this. Because the church has, has just really begun. It's, 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 it's exploding. God is adding the number of disciples like crazy. People are being saved. Um, we started out in chapter 1 where, where Jesus tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem until you see power. And then they would be his witnesses. He ascends to heaven, sends the promise of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. The church is launched and, uh, and begins to take off. And um, literally Acts 2 is sort of the launching pad of Jesus' ministry after his ascension. Um, and so uh, miracles are being done. There are crippled people being healed. Um, great things are happening. When we get to chapter 5, what we start running into, and really 4 and especially into 5, is the church begins to run into opposition. And there's several different things that can come against the church. And that's what I want you to see today is what I believe is Satan's number one attack on the church um, and, and Satan's number one way of trying to derail the church and make the local church um, cease to one, exist because Satan doesn't just wish to harm us, he wishes to destroy us, but two, uh, to, to hinder it from doing the, the kingdom work that God has for um, it to do. And so Acts chapter four, we're gonna begin in verse 36, and then we'll go through five eleven. It says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And this is something that was common. If you go up and read the, the three verses before this and the four verses before this, when you see that this was something they were doing, it was very common for them. If there was someone in need, they'd go sell property. Um, they'd take a, a cordless drill to the pawn shop, whatever they, I don't know what they did, what all they sold or where they sold it, but they would go and get money and they would give it to the apostles so the apostles could meet the needs of the people. And so Barnabas um, is doing something that's very familiar to these uh, early disciples, this early early church. And then we go into chapter five. Um, It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, that's important, his wife's full knowledge, she understood what was happening. She knew what was going on. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. When I was reading that the other day, it jumped out at me. And I realized, you know, um, it says that they brought the rest. And what I believe happens many times in the church and many times in our life is that we're willing to bring God the rest, but many times we hold back what's best, right? And and, and I want to encourage you today, whatever you're holding back, uh, give it to God. If, if, If there's something he's calling you to, there's something he's calling you to do Um, take that step of faith don't just give him the rest of what's left over give him the best of what you have in verse 3 it says then Peter said Ananias how is it that Satan see Satan's attacking has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold wasn't the money at your disposal what made you think of doing such a thing you have not lied to men but to God 
when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And I was like, dang, you know what I mean? It's like, he just kept, it's like, instead of putting a hundred, he gave, he like dropped a 10, you know? And I was like, and so Ananias died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray, God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Awaken our hearts, Lord, to to who you are. Uh, God, fill us with your spirit and give us excitement about uh, being able to just open your word. So many people would give anything to have it. God, I do ask today that this would not be a good message, God, but I pray that it would be powerful and effective. I pray, God, that you would do what you need to do uh, so that it would sink deep into our hearts. Let it not be like chaff that's blown around, uh, that, looks, that looks like seed, but God, it's empty on the inside. But let it come with the power of your Holy Spirit so that it's good seed that falls into our heart and produces a crop and a fruit, God, that, uh, that you uh, would desire to, to produce. Lord, uh, have your way here now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you can think back to a time in your life that you think about it and you would actually like to revisit that time? Maybe it's a nostalgic time for you, um, a simpler time. Um, Some of you are in high school, you're like, I wish I could go back to elementary school when I wasn't so busy. Well, see, I wish I could go back to high school when I wasn't so busy. You know what I mean? You just kind of learned that over time. And we think back many times to times that seemed great, that times that seemed good. But then if you really dig a little deeper, the times might not have been exactly what you thought. Like I I oftentimes think, man, I wish I could go back and do high school again. And and what what I end up doing though, is I help Dake with his homework and he's only in the sixth grade. And then I'm like, I don't care to go back to high school ever again, right? Because uh, we're doing like uh, multiplication trees and all kinds. I'm like, I've never been to the grocery store and had to do a multiplication. I don't even know why we're doing this, right? And so I'm like, I'm glad I don't, I'm not in high school anymore. Sometimes I think about going back and playing high school football again. And I'm like, man, I loved it. You know, the band playing and people cheering. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. It was so good. And then I remember two-a-days, right? When you're out and you're practicing two, three times a day um, in the heat. And I'm like, you know what? Football wasn't so great after all. I think I pass on that one too. The Friday night, woo, every other day of the week right and so just kind of trying to to put that in perspective for you and many times in the church this is what I hear I hear people say all the time we need to go back to the Acts church right we need to go back to the first church I want it to be like the first church I want it to be like the Acts church and then I read passages like this and I'm like are you sure because somebody withheld something from the offering and they died all right let's yeah I want to go Really, right? And they withheld a, a promise. And see, here's the thing I want you to understand about this is that um, this was not really so much about the money as it was about their heart. And, and what God sees in this is he sees deceit and he sees dishonesty, which equals hypocrisy. And I'll tell you today that hypocrisy is the number one weapon that Satan uses against the church. It's the number one weapon that he is able to take and use in our lives so that we begin to not accomplish the purposes of God, but can actually, as we see with Ananias and Sapphira, begin to hurt the church. Um, when you think about hypocrisy today, I want you to think about hypocrisy and religion pretty much in the same terms, because this is what I'll tell you. If you find a religious spirit, you'll also find a spirit of hypocrisy. 
If you find a spirit of hypocrisy in the church, you'll also find a religious spirit. And what that tells us is that they go hand in hand. And hypocrisy is when we basically are trying to act as though we're something that we really are not. Um, Also, religion is really rules without a relationship. And so we try to follow these rules and do these things, but in reality, there's no relationship with God. But it's our attempt to cover up the lack of a relationship so that other people think we have something that we don't have. When we talk about hypocrisy today, I want you to understand where that word comes from. Um, some of you maybe have heard about this. You've heard where this word comes from. But back, you know, years and years and years ago when they would have plays, there would be a person um, or many people maybe who would play more than one role. So they might go out, if I were going out to act in the play, I might go out and act as myself for one character. But then the next time I went out, I would put on a mask and I would go out and act out another character. And so when we hear hypocrisy or we hear hypocrite we need to think about that person um, who is playing more than one part somebody who's acting one way but their true character is another and so I want you to understand that as we get into hypocrisy as we talk about this religious attitude this rules without relationship I want you to understand what we're talking about Um, because hypocrisy this religious spirit that's invaded the American church is robbing the kingdom of fruit it's coming in and it's telling us that we can settle for where we are rather than really being in and pursuing a relationship with Jesus and so I want you to see this it's very important because the big C church it's not gonna fail it's not period the big C church like the universal church it is going to succeed until Jesus comes back and establishes the new earth and the new heaven then then the church is going to exist the way we know it the church is actually going to exist for eternity even after that the people who are in Christ are going to be together forever um so Walmart will be gone right and and that kind of thing but the reality of it is the church is going to go on but here's the thing we do need to realize it does not mean that the little C church can be too big to fail it doesn't mean that the local church can't fail I don't care if it's North Point New Spring Elevation Village Mars Hill connect whatever 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 church there's no church that's too big to fail and if we want to be a part and this is your church if we want to be a part of, of God doing something that's unique of God continuing to work in and through our lives then we need to be careful we need to be on our guard um, against this uh, thing called hypocrisy and this thing called religion and Luke chapter 12 verse 1 Jesus tells uh, the disciples beware of the Pharisees beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and he goes on to tell them that it's hypocrisy And so we need to be on our guard against that. We need to be aware that it's easy for us to slip from a relationship with Jesus back into rules and regulations. So many of Paul's letters had to deal with this. He literally calls the Galatians morons because they've gone from trusting in grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to trying to live out their life according to rules and regulations again, according to the way they they wash or different things that they were trying to earn righteousness with. And so we need to see this and we need to understand this because there's many of us in here today and I've fallen into this trap myself when there were times when we get away from a relationship with Jesus and we get into this thing called hypocrisy where we're acting like something that we're not 
So it's very, very important. I'm going to ask you four questions today. Listen, if you don't have a card today and you don't have something to take notes on, but you want to take notes, I'm going to have a lot of points. My, my, I know you're not going to walk away knowing and memorizing every point, but I want you to get the heart of what I'm saying. I know when I write things down, I learn it better. So if you don't have something to take notes on, but you'd like to take notes, I mean, you can borrow a pen from somebody if you don't have one. But listen, would you raise your hand? We got some of these. We'll, you, if we'll get you one real quick as we jump into this if you'd like one. Just raise your hand and they'll get you one. But I'm going to ask you four questions today, and then I'm going to give you some points under each question. There will be an answer. we got one right down here uh, that needs one. All right. And, and I want you to be able to track with me. I want you to be able to see this. Okay. And so as we look at this, as we look at this passage, how many of you, when you hear that passage, and you can be honest, we're in church. Uh, that should be what we do. Um, listen, how many of you hear this and, uh, and you think, wow, that is a little harsh right? You hear it. I mean, it's just a natural question, isn't it? It's okay. I mean, I had the same thought, like, why would God do that? Because they just held back some money. But God knew in this early church how important it was to, to get it off on the right foundation. And the first question I want to answer is, why was there such a harsh, what seems to us a harsh judgment? Why did that happen? Why did that take place? And so if you're writing it down, do you want to take notes? Write down, why such harsh judgment? Question mark. Right, and it says, and this is what I would tell you: that the very first one is to show the apostolic authority, to show the apostolic authority. Let me explain that because that sounds kind of odd, right? But but basically, God needed them to see the power that He had given the church, and specifically given the apostles. But this is what I realized as I was reading and I was studying this section that. The same power that was resting on the church in those days um, needs to be resting in the church today, working in the church today. When people look at the church, they should see the power of God. When people look at us and they come and they walk in, they should see, they should experience the power of Jesus. We shouldn't be just inviting people to come because of music or because of a speaker. They should walk in and experience God. If he is who we say he is, should not people coming through the doors of this church, this high school, which turns into a church, would it, should it not be something that we experience? If, as we sang, God is truly alive, shouldn't that be something that we experience? We experience relationships with each other. Why? Because you're alive and I'm alive. God is alive and his power should be working in the church. I know this, when I was uh, first saved, which is Christian lingo for I gave my life to Christ, he took me from death to life. And he, he gave me life. And when I was first saved, I remember starting to read my Bible and I would read all the stuff that God was doing um, in that church and, and all that God did through the gospels. And this is a question I had. Either, this is what I would think to myself, either my experience is lacking or the Bible's a lie. And here's the thing that began to happen. As I began to press into God, God began to make my experience line up with his word. And I began to see him move and I began to see miracles happen. See, every time we see a salvation, guess what? We've seen a miracle. You've seen somebody go from death to life. You've seen somebody's life in eternity transformed. And I began to see um, people who were truly on mission. I began to be on mission for God myself. Why? Because I came into a relationship with him and his power began to work in my life. The power of God should be working inside the church because there are surrendered, sold out followers of Jesus who are pursuing him and who he is bringing their hearts to life. The second thing that and reason that the judgment was so harsh is to show the importance of maintaining purity in the church. 
See, see, Jesus was, was basically cleansing this, this church. Uh, Jesus was basically uh, showing the importance of purity. And see, purity is something that is impossible if we're not abiding in Christ. And we get our eyes off of Jesus and we start going through these religious rules without a relationship, hypocrisy takes over our life and we can no longer produce the fruit of the Spirit, which comes only through Jesus. Things like love and peace and patience and kindness, all of that begins to, to, to fade out of our lives as our sight in Jesus begins to of Jesus begins to fade. We have to come to a place where we stay connected to him so that we can have pure hearts. He's the one that cleanses our heart. He's the one that starts on the inside cleansing us. See, religion and hypocrisy tells us this. If we would just clean up the outside, the inside will be clean. But, the, but it, the, so backwards, Jesus cleanses the inside and it works its way out. But we've been taught that you clean up and then maybe Jesus will love you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I loved you before you were born. I loved you when you were in your sin. I gave my life for you when I knew you were going to sin and I knew everything you were going to do. And I still gave my life for you because I love you. And I want to work that from the inside to the outside, not from the outside to the inside, because you're hopeless and helpless in doing that apart from him. And they wants us to understand that. This hypocrisy is just acting religious. We can't win that battle. You can't win the battle of purity if you're not connected to Jesus. How can you portray the character of God without God doing it through you? Are you so big? Are you so great that you can play God? No, none of us are. Only through Christ. The third reason that this is such a harsh seeming judgment, but that it's warranted is he wanted to show the seriousness of sin. So we can't recognize, not only do we not understand that God wants to make us pure, that he wants to make, see God is pure himself. And because he wants to make us like himself, he wants purity worked out in us. We can't fathom the purity of God. The whitest white would not do justice to the glory of God. And I want you to see, and I want you to understand, we don't have any comprehension of how dark our sin is compared to the light of Jesus. And so we come to this place where, where we just go through religious motions because this is what happens. Hypocrisy and religion works in our lives to be an anesthetic to our sin. See, sin for the Christian should be like going to the dentist without getting any Novocaine shot in your lip, right? Anybody ever been and they didn't give you enough shot? I guess they give Novocaine, I don't know what they give. But whatever that stuff is, I like it when I'm getting my, my teeth filled. So I like to go to the dentist that when you leave, you can't even talk, you just like, right? Because you just can't feel anything. But, but that's what happens when we just go through the religious motions and we, we play the hypocrite is that we can just try to cover up our sin. But the problem with it is it's still there. The problem with it is that, that, that this religion becomes an anesthetic to our heart and it begins to numb the fact that we're not in a relationship with Jesus. The fourth one is this. Uh, it was a harsh judgment because he's showing us the importance of transparency. Showing the importance of transparency. And see, transparency is huge in this. Transparency destroys hypocrisy. And the reality of it is that transparency is key to any relationship. Transparency leads to trust. If I know you are who you say you are and you're going to do the things you say you're going to do, you may not be perfect at it, but I know I can trust you. The problem comes in when we act one way and, and we live or we, we say one thing and we do another. We don't walk the walk. Um, we, we just talk the talk, right? And so we need to 
to see that this is huge because transparency leads to trust. Trust is the building block of all relationships. No good team, no good church is able to be the church unless there's trust, unless there's just trust amongst the, the, the community. And it comes when we are able to live transparency. See, hypocrisy destroys all of that. It's why if you have, uh, your wife is, 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 is not the same person all the time, you wonder sometimes, it, if she's like that um, with, around and I see that with other people, then what if she's not the same person then, well, is she the same person when she's at home as she is at work or vice versa? I wonder how many times our kids look at us and go, why are they talking all that God talk when they run into certain people, but I never hear it any other time. I think about that all the time with my oldest son. I don't even know if he's in here or not, but my oldest son, he's 11. I wonder sometimes, does he hear me say one thing on Sunday morning and then live another? Or is my actions and my talk Monday through Saturday the same as my talk on Sunday? Because I need to be building that trust with him. He needs to see that. The next thing it is, or is it such a harsh judgment? To show the importance of being equipped by God. To show the importance of us growing in the image of God. To show the importance of that. I want you to flip real quick if you want to, if you can, if you have your Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I want to read these to you. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, it's important that we understand, one, that all scripture, all scripture in whole and in part is God-breathed, meaning it was inspired by God. God gave it to us. He inspired the writers. They weren't in a trance just writing, but they were in a place where the spirit of God was leading them, carrying them along so that they could uh, write this scripture out. So in whole and in part, uh, the, the Bible is the word of God. And he says that it's useful for equipping us to fulfill our purpose. God wants us to know that we need to be equipped. God wants us to know that through this, Ananias and Sapphira, you should have been corrected. You should have listened to the word and you should have been corrected and you wouldn't end up dead. And think we're like, well, God's never killed me when I sin. Yeah, you're dying every time you sin. See, sin always looks better in front of us than it does behind us, doesn't it? Always. And the reality of it is this, that he wants to equip us. He wants to correct us, but we have to come under the authority of God's word. And he says he corrects us, he equips us um, through four things. One is teaching, one is rebuking, one is correcting, and one is training. When you look at that, it's easy to go where there's two positive and two negative. But I would tell you this, there's not two positive and two negative, there's four positive. They're all positive. Teaching is when we're teaching the word of God and we're learning about the character and will of God. Rebuking is when someone that loves us and cares for us says, look, you're getting out of the character and will of God. Come back in line, come back in line. Don't walk that way, don't go that way. You know where that road is gonna lead. Get back in line with God's will. will. You're out of it. The correcting is not something like you're just like, you know, Boy, get in that shower. You know, it's not like that, right? It's like, it's a gentle correcting. It's actually a word that meant to reset a bone gently. And so it's like taking the person who is being rebuked lovingly and saying, I'm gonna gently correct you back into the character and will of God. So this, because listen, that's what's good for you and it's what's good for God's kingdom. And the thing you need to see is so that correction, that rebuking is good. And then the training is when we're taught and we're corrected and even rebuked to this point where we can come into um, understanding so we don't get back out of the will and character of God. And so it's all a growth process. It's all very positive. But how many of you like to be rebuked as we think about being rebuked? Not many of us, but listen, it's good for us. We need to embrace it. 
And when you trust, again, trust because you trust people, allow them to speak into your life. Because this is important that we would be corrected and walking in the ways of God. The second question is this, what's the big problem with hypocrisy? I mean, why is it such a big deal? Why, why does it matter that much? Now here's the first one. It looks attractive, but is not and cannot be the answer we're looking for. It is, it looks attractive, but it is not and cannot be the answer we're looking for. In other words, many times we, I have people come to me and they'll say, yeah, you know, I need help with my marriage. We're going to start coming to church. Or I'll have people say, you know, I need help with my kids. So we're going to start coming to church. Or, uh, you know, I need help at my job. I've got so much stress. We're going to start coming to church. But see, here's the problem. That may sound good and that may look good. But if you just walk through the doors of a church, it doesn't do any good. It's only when you come into a relationship with Christ and you're drawing strength from him. Everything else is empty. Even your church, even your service, even, even your, your Bible study, even your quiet time. If it's not filled with the presence of God, God stirring you up on the inside, then you're wasting your time. You should be playing golf, right? Because it's a waste if we're not walking in and encountering God, I would compare it to, ch to the chaff. You think, you hear people talk about the chaff and the wheat and how, how God will separate the chaff from the wheat. Well, the chaff is the hole. It's the, the, the hole around the seed. But see, the, the chaff may look like seed, but it's empty on the inside. It, there's, nothing, there's nothing in it that's good. There's nothing in it that can produce anything. Only the real seed can produce fruit. Only the real seed can produce a harvest. Only the real seed can produce a crop. And But many of us, our relationship or lack thereof a relationship with God is like that empty seed. We really don't have a relationship. All we have is a shell that looks kind of nice on the outside that makes people think that the seed of God has been planted in us. But really all that's happened is some behavior modification. I would tell you this, Jesus didn't die to make bad people good people. Jesus died to make dead people alive people. That's what Jesus died for, not to try to clean up your behavior. If you come to Christ and Christ lives in you, then your behavior is gonna change. I can promise you that. No one's ever come into a relationship with Jesus who didn't change because he plants that seed on the inside of you. How many of you remember when you were a child and you had to shell peas? Do people shell peas anymore? Yeah, you had to shell peas. Was that not a miserable thing to do? Like, when, when, especially when you're five and you're like, I want to go play kickball. They're like, shell them peas, boy. Right? <laughs> Sitting on my, my grandmother's front porch, either snapping beans or shelling peas, you know? And we're trying to get all that stuff together and, and get it all done. And, and man, it was miserable. But see, many of us, our lives are like the, the shell. They're not like the pea. They're not like, they're not, they're, that the relationship with Jesus does not exist. So the fruit is impossible to be produced because there's nothing there. And many of us have settled for that when Jesus would long love to give us more than that. Don't settle in that place for just religion. Don't settle for hypocrisy. You know, it is a terrible thing to have to live a lie day after day. It is a terrible thing. Why not come into the light and let Jesus shine his light on you, in you, give you his spirit so that your life can then become transparent, not a perfect person, but someone who has been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, given a righteousness you can never earn, a righteousness that you don't deserve, and, and then you can live your life secure in knowing I am okay because I'm okay in Christ, and you don't have to hide anymore. What a great freedom that is. See, I don't stand before you because I'm a perfect person. 
There'd be no preacher who could preach if it depended on perfect people. Ask my wife, ask my kids. They know I'm not perfect. I am a selfish human being just like you. I am a lustful human being just like you. But you know what? When I'm abiding in Christ, there is a power in me that is greater than the one who is in the world. There's a power in me greater than the one who wants to tempt me to seduction. There's a power in me greater that that won't let me settle for Sunday morning church as usual, but that makes me pursue Jesus with all that I have. And my prayer for you is that you would encounter that power that you would encounter that person Jesus and you would be filled with that spirit the Holy Spirit that would transform you and make you a new person just as 2 Corinthians 5 17 says and that you would have a new way of living a new outlook on life and that you begin to praise him and go to church and do all those things but it wouldn't be because you're expected to it wouldn't be because you have to it'd be because there's something inside of you that says if I don't worship him I'm going to explode That's what we can have. That's what God wants to give us. So we need to realize that why is, what is the problem? It looks attractive, but it cannot, is not and cannot be the answer. The second thing, it destroys you and offers no hope of relief. It destroys you. It just burdens you. Listen, many of you got saved and then they gave you a four inch thick Bible and said, memorize it. There was no life in it. It just somehow you got taken away from the relationship with Jesus. Is memorizing the word important? Absolutely. But it's not so God will love you more, so you'll love him more. It's a completely different outlook. It's one that Satan has blinded us to through this hypocrisy and religious spirit. See, many times the things that we go to and cry out for help only make us worse. Um, one time when my dad was younger, he, he did surveying and he was cutting a line with this younger guy and they were cutting a line so they could shoot it through the woods, right? And, and lay out this property. Well, as they were going through there, the guy hits the yellow jacket nest and the yellow jacket starts swarming him and he starts running, help, 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 they're on me, help, help. So my dad being a hero, because everybody's dad's a hero, um, he comes running by and he grabs a little sapling pine tree and he's running behind this guy and he's just beating the bees off of this guy and he's hitting him and it just wearing him out with this pine tree and finally the guy stops running and my dad was like are you okay did they sting you he said no they didn't sting me but you about beat me to death with that pine tree <laughs> and, and so sometimes the thing we cry out for help to is unable to really help us Sometimes the thing we cry out for help to, if I, if, oh, if, he, if I could have him, I, I'd be whole. No, you won't. You'll, you'll end up losing more than you gain because you're looking for it in the wrong place. If I could have a little bit more money, if I could just have that, you know what? It ain't going to do it for you. Nothing is going to satisfy like Jesus. Don't cry out to something that's going to end up making you worse off. How many of us in here right now are chasing things that we think are going to satisfy, but are going to leave us worse off? The very thing you're pursuing the hardest right now might be the thing that enslaves you later. And if it's not Jesus, there's a really good chance it will. The third thing I would tell you about this, it makes God's reality questionable and weakens faith in Jesus. So what's the big problem? It makes God's reality questionable and weakens faith in Jesus because this is what we do. We come to church and we come to this religion with this mindset of this will do it for me, but we don't encounter it. So it makes us begin to wonder, is this really true? Is this, is this, is this right? Uh, because I don't experience what I thought I would experience. There really hasn't been a change. And it's because we weren't brought to a relationship with Jesus. We were brought into this, just an organization that's dead and lifeless. But a relationship with Jesus is, is different. It gives us life. I told you when I began to read my Bible, man, I was like, what? one's wrong, either the Bible or my experience. But if you'll pursue Jesus, 
You'll begin to line up your experience with his word. You begin to see him work in your life in ways you thought he never could. The fourth reason this is such a big issue and big problem is it destroys the church. See, the thing that I would tell you is this. There, hypocrisy in this religion, this religious spirit, it has hurt the church more than any atheist, any philosopher ever thought of. Uh, somehow we think that the government is somehow going to come in and, and rob us of our Christianity. I think many times the best thing that could happen to the church in America is that we did come under harsher persecution because it would make us decide what we really believe. And if the church would just be the church, we could go hang a sign on the White House and the Capitol and say, thanks, but we don't need you anymore. And we could quit complaining instead of praying, right? And, and so the reality of it is that we got to see that this is hypocrisy. It destroys the church more than anything else. We need to come to this place of realizing this. First Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Uh, the, Paul says this. He says, listen, if you destroy the church, God will destroy you. That's taking it serious. We should probably think about that before we start gossiping and talking about people, right? Before we start slamming the church and what it's not doing, why don't we start bringing solutions instead of problems? Why don't we start being the solution instead of being the problem? And we come to this place where we have to make that decision, which am I gonna be? Acts 9, 4, this is why it's so important. Acts 9, 4, Paul comes into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He blinds him with this light. The glory of God literally blinds Paul for a time. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And then Jesus tells him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you killing Christians? Why are you locking them up? He said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Because when you mess with his church, you're messing with God. You're messing with Jesus. And so it destroys the church, hypocrisy in religion. The third question, if hypocrisy is so painful and destructive, why is it so prevalent? Why is it so attractive? If hypocrisy is so painful and destructive, why is it so prevalent and attractive? Number one, it's what's been modeled. It's what's been modeled. It's, it's what we've seen. It's what we've been taught. For most of us all throughout our, our time of, of, of church, this is what's been modeled before us. But I would say this, church, and I believe God has called us along with others into this time. It's time to break the mold. It's time for us to, to, to truly believe what we say we believe. And if we believe it, step out into it and do it. So we have to come to a place where we break out of the mold of what's been modeled. Number two, it gives us the image we want without the sacrifice. That's one reason it's attractive. It gives us an image without the sacrifice. I've told you this story before, but it's been such an impactful thing in my life. I'll tell you again, when I, when I first started going to church, I wasn't saved, I was just there. Um, it looked to me like everybody who was important ushered, right? I was like, if you hold that plate, you must be a big deal. And so I was like, I'm gonna do that. I signed up to be an usher. So I got to pass the plate. And we go down there and we do all our stuff and we go through the motions. We come back there, we count the money, put it in a lock bag, put it up. And you know what would happen? Everybody left. Like, I'm going to the golf course. I'm going to drink beer. I'm going to whatever, you know. And I was like, wow, I love Christianity. It's like, I can, but you know what the thing about it? I can do that without Jesus. In fact, I've got that down. I am one heck of a Christian, right? I can do that. And that was what I understood to be Christianity. And it gives us this image because we are seen, we're seen at church and we're thought of well, but it doesn't, doesn't require any sacrifice. And so we love it. Hypocrisy makes us feel good. It's a band-aid to our conscience. It, it helps us to, to 
knock off this condemnation that we're feeling because we're not walking in Christ and, we're, and so we need some relief so we just come to this and act like we're somehow holy at times. Number three, it's an attempt to gain God's benefits without the cost. It's an attempt to gain God's benefits without the cost. It's this thing that we come to and we're like, yeah, I want the benefits. And we, we even pick out the scripture that we want and we like that one. But, but, but we don't want the, the cost. But Jesus was very clear. One, he said, take up your cross and follow me. In case you forgot, the cross was an execution instrument, right? It killed people. He said, you need to die daily and follow me. The second thing that, that we see is he not only tells us to take up our cross and follow him, but he tells us we have to count the cost. See, it does count. The benefits of God are great blessing, but the reality is it cost us everything, but we gain more than we could ever possibly imagine. See, God is not a friend with benefits, right? We don't just live our life and then come to God when we need something. God is the God of the universe. Many of us embrace him as savior, but we reject him as Lord. He is either both or he is none. Which one is it? Is he or isn't he Lord and savior of your life? The fourth one is this. It's able to gain favor with man without true commitment to God. You kind of couple all those together and that's basically what you get. I can have favor. My business can do better. They'll say I'm a good person. They'll even think highly of me, but I really don't have to make a commitment because I can just show up one out of three Sundays right and do something where I'm visible and the reality is God wants more for that this is not just to try to shame you this is to try to point you to something greater it's called grace and it removes the condemnation and I want you to experience it I want you to know it my fear is that too many people are resting in an eternal security that's really not secure because all we've really known is religion and we've never known Christ, and yet the Bible is true. We can do ministry in the name of Jesus. We can bring others to the name of Jesus. But the reality of it is, folks, listen, if we stand before him and we have not been in this relationship with him, he is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. The last thing, how do we remove the mask of hypocrisy? If we're stuck in this, how do we get out of it? Because we've all been there. We'll all probably be there again. How do we get out of it? Number one, we recognize God's word as his inspired, perfect word. Number one, we recognize God's word as his inspired, perfect word in whole and in part, as I said earlier. See, this is what we like to try to do because hypocrisy in religion allows us to do this. It allows us to um, read or eat or digest the word of God like we would eat and digest a watermelon. We, we, we swallow the parts we like and then we spit out the parts we don't, right? You ever notice that? So you can't read the Bible with an eraser. It doesn't work that way. As much as we would probably like to, you don't read the word of God with an eraser. It is all or none, right? And what, let me ask you this question while we're on that. What is the most hotly debated topics the two most hotly debated topics in public school right now you can interact let's talk what is it number one what would you say prayer in school what would number two be you think evolution evolution why would evolution be such a big deal to God well look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 let's read that it won't be on the screen but it's just one verse it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth Wow. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that if God can bring into doubt the very, or if Satan can bring into doubt the very first words that God put in the Bible, what does it do to the rest of it? 
It casts a shadow over it. But we have to come to the word of God, recognizing it as the word of God, recognizing it as what it is, and knowing that it is the best way for our life to go. The second thing we do when we come to this place of removing this mask, we recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of that word. This is huge. See, Jesus only had one commandment. He said, come follow me. But the Bible teaches us in John 1.14 that he was the word made flesh. In other words, all the things that God had been telling us, Jesus came and fulfilled them. All the things that are written before his time, Jesus came and embodied them. Hebrews 1.3 tells us this, that he is the express image of God. So when we look at Jesus, we see the character, we see the will of God for our lives. And we keep going, man. Listen, Hebrews 4.12, this is why when we interact with the Bible, the Bible interacts with us. Because the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, even to judging the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. That's what the word does in us. That's what the word begins to do when we're in it and we're engaging Jesus and the spirit of God through it. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he, was, he is our high priest and yet he's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but he knows in every way how we've been tempted because he was as well, but he was without sin. How did he do that? Because he, he clung to the father, because he was empowered by the spirit, not because he looked to keep rules. In fact, he told us you can summarize all those rules in one in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because when we're loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, God works out of us what he wants to work out of us. He works the fruit of his spirit out of us. But Jesus himself had to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he could, he could do anything for the kingdom. If you will abide in Jesus, he will do great things through you. But apart from him, you and I can do nothing. See, hypocrisy is saying I can embody God's word. I can be like Jesus without God's power. How crazy to think that we could be like God apart from God's power. There's no way. There's no possible way that we could do that. The third thing that begins to happen as we shake this mask of hypocrisy, we recognize the seriousness of our sin. We recognize the seriousness of our sin. See, I want to be very clear. It's your sin. It's my sin. We need to own that. We need to recognize it and realize we have all fallen short of the grace of God. We have all sinned. We need to own it. It's ours. We need to realize that. We need to realize the weight of it. It is an abomination to God. God cannot stand sin. Think about that again. The sound of that drill with no anesthetic. That's how the sin is before, should be to us, how it is even worse to God. And so we need to recognize the sin in our life. Number four, in faith, we need to let Jesus take our sin. In faith, we come humbly to him and allow him to take our sin from us. And see, here's the great news of God that even though he had no sin of his own, Jesus became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And the way we receive that is simply through faith. It's simply through faith in Christ. But faith is recognizing Him as Savior and as Lord. It's repentance and turning from our sin to a new life. Why would we not give up our old, dead, crusty, beat-up life for the new life that Jesus wants to give us? I don't understand it. 
But see, and I want you to be clear on this, that faith is more than a general belief. I've used an illustration of a chair before. We can look at that chair. We can know facts about that chair. But until we're willing to sit in that chair, that we haven't put our faith in that chair. Until we believe that that chair can hold up our, our body weight. Until we believe it will hold us and do what it's supposed to do. We can't really put our faith in that chair. But when we come to faith in Christ, it's very similar. We look at Jesus and we say, I believe that He can hold the weight of my soul. I believe that He can hold the weight of my life and I'm going to rest everything I have in Him. No longer will I live for me, but I will live for Him. I will give Him my life. He takes it and He begins to create something new with it and do great things through it. But we have to come to that place. We're willing to trust. We're willing to put all of the weight on it. And it's such a good and glorious thing. I don't know why we run from it so hard. The fifth thing, we're almost done. The fifth thing is this, that we worship Him for who He is and for what He's done. We worship Him. Listen, not because we're supposed to, not because that's what we've been told, but because it's what's in our heart. We begin to worship him. Jesus encountered a woman at a well in John chapter 4. She was from Samaria. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. This woman had lived a promiscuous lifestyle. She'd been married many, many times. She'd done awful, crazy things um, throughout her life. And Jesus comes to her and he offers her water. She's like, yeah, give me some water so I don't have to draw from this well anymore. Jesus like, you don't really know what you're asking. He reads her mail. He tells her everything about her life. And when he tells her everything about her life, this is what begins. She realizes he's a prophet. She tries to change the subject to religion. And she says, you know what, Jesus, you Jews, you worship on this mountain. But us Samaritans, we worship on that mountain. And Jesus looks at her and goes, you don't even know who you worship. He's, He's basically saying it's not about a mountain. It's not about a place. It's not about going to the right church. It's not about looking the right way. It's not about uh, going to the right place, even if it's one out of three Sundays uh, a month, right? Uh, One out of four, whatever it might be. It's not about that because that can do nothing for you. It's not the mountain that changes your life. It's not the mountain that brings life. It's the creator of the mountain who made a way for us sinful human beings to come to him that changes our life. worship in spirit and truth basically what he's saying to her is worship me for who I am he's saying the mountain can't heal you the mountain can't take away your sin the person in front of you can worship me for who I am and what I'm going to do for you that's what he's telling the woman she had no clue exactly what he's talking about but listen to what Jesus did in her life he took the hoe of Samaria and made her the evangelist of Samaria don't sit here today and tell me God's not able to cleanse your sin because of what you've done when he can take a hoe and make her a preacher the power of God. See, he didn't die for the little sins. He didn't die for the neat little sins. Well, I talk about people sometimes. He died for all the sins. All of them. Even the worst you can think of, Jesus took them upon himself and took the punishment for that. That's why this is a glorious gospel. It's because of what he did for us. The last one. As we live transparently in love with Jesus. We live transparently in love with Jesus. See, when we love Him, 
We realize he's got us in his hand. He, we realize he's not going to let us go. And we can be who we are. It took me a long, long time to realize this. But I can tell you that there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from shame. There is freedom from condemnation. You don't have to hide in the darkness anymore. There's a God who calls you into the light. And there's a God who will love you warts and all. There's a God whose presence is powerful and will show a community of people that he's powerful. And this is what I would tell you. Listen, listen, listen. If that power isn't resting here, then let's go somewhere else so we can be a part of it. Whatever it takes to be in this place, to live transparently in this love of God, that, that he would come and he would move in our hearts in this way. See, 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 this reality of Jesus and this love of Jesus and this relationship with Jesus, when it's transparent, we don't have anything to hide. I was thinking about this. How many of you, um, you've been hunting and you use a thermocell when you go hunting, especially early in the season? You raise your hand. It's okay. I'm redneck too. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's it. See, I used to hunt before we had a thermocell and it was awful because the mosquitoes would just tear you up. I'm talking about, I've seen mosquitoes. I swear I could see a heartbeat in a mosquito. That was how big he was, like veins in his leg. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, and they would come and they would land on And then I got this great God-given gift called a thermocell, which they say deer can't smell, but I can smell, so I find it hard for deer not to smell. I don't know that, but got distracted. But the point of it is this, you turn that little thing on and it, it just permeates the air. It begins to change the air. And the mosquitoes, they won't come into it. They just, they just avoid it. It's like they're out there, it's like, you know what I'm saying? They just, they want to get there, but they can't because there's something that repels it. I would tell you that an authentic, true, living relationship with Jesus functions that way with this religious spirit. It functions that way with Satan. Satan's going to attack and he's going to fire his arrows. But the Bible says we have a shield of faith in Christ that extinguishes every one of them. He tells us that, that they, Satan can't do anything to us. And it tells us that even when we're struggling with love, when, when, when you're riding down the road and the skirt's way too short, right? I'm a man, I know, I understand. But, but, but even when the skirt's too short, that there's something greater in me that can divert me away from that, that can call me away from that. Even when I lay in bed at night, young ladies, and I think if I just had a guy, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. Probably, probably you'd be way worse off. The thing you need is a relationship with God that can help transform even your heart in that to make you say, you know what? It's not easy sometimes being alone. It's not easy being the only one of my friends who doesn't have somebody. It's not easy being a single mom. But this is what I know. I have a God who goes with me. I have a God who goes before me. And he brought me through yesterday. And he's brought me through all my yesterdays. And he's gonna bring me through today. And he's gonna bring me through my tomorrows because he is a good and faithful and true God who will never leave me nor forsake me. Jesus is that God who repels the religious spirit, who repels the satanic attack, who repels the doubt, who repels the lack of faith and says, just take one more step. I've got that step and I've got the next million that you're going to take. Just hold on to me. Hold on to me. Cling to me. Abide in me and I will do through you greater things for his kingdom than you could ever imagine. Listen, this is not just for the super apostles of that day. It's not for just for preachers of this day. This is for the entire church, the body of believers every day that we can walk in this power and in this community that is unstoppable, but we've got to take it seriously. It can't be a part of our life. It's got to be our whole life. Again, it'll cost us everything, but he gives us so much more. Today, listen, listen, listen. 
I know there's many people, you're probably stuck in this. Some of you, maybe you've got a relationship with Jesus, but you've just fallen into going through the rules and regulations, going through all this stuff with no relationship and just doing it. And maybe today's the day that you need to relinquish that and say yes to God. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. The other thing I would tell you is this, for some of us today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But today you need to say yes to that relationship. And see, here's the thing I would ask you. If you do have a relationship with God, this is not the part of the service just to pack up our stuff. This is probably as a, the most important part. Why don't you be praying? And praying that God would transform somebody's heart if it's as important as we say it is. Because in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and say yes. If today you want a relationship with Jesus, you're saying yes to his invitation. He has called your name and you are saying yes to that invitation. For the first time, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. So we don't do it with head bowed, nod closed. I don't have a problem. If that's why people do it, that's fine. But I just don't want this to ever be something that we feel like is shameful. It's not a shameful thing. This is the greatest thing we'll ever do. It's something to celebrate. And so today, if you know the Lord is calling you, and you would say yes to his invitation, then I want to ask you, would you stand up and let us celebrate with you and let us take your next steps with you? Would you stand up? Listen, there's nothing that we love more in this church than celebrating salvations. Today, so I don't want religion. I don't want to walk through the doors. I want to leave here different. I want to know the Lord. I want a relationship through the grace of God. Would you stand? Say yes. guts to say yes how about you what does God do it in your heart you stand to your feet it's 12 22 listen I learned a long time ago I'm not a 35 minute preacher if that's a problem for you it's gonna be a problem here but this is what I'm asking you don't know him but today you say yes I need to know him all right I'm gonna pray when I'm done praying if you want prayer if you'd like to be prayed for our prayer team's gonna be down here we want to pray with you Maybe today's the day you need to come and lay your sin at the feet of Jesus, the sin of hypocrisy and religion, and allow Jesus to redirect your eyes into his so that you can see the grace and mercy that he's offering you. If you need prayer, when I say amen, I'm gonna ask you to come this way. Everybody else will be free to go. God, I thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you uh, just spoke to an 11-year-old, God. Thank you. I pray for the others you've spoken to now that they would respond. Lord, just thank you for your love and grace and mercy in our lives. We love you, Father, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.